This is Postico Chronicles, and I'm your host, Matt Falk. Hello, Postico Chronicle listeners. Our guest today is Danny Ko, the queer and trans Asian youth program coordinator at Asian Community Aid Services. They also work on the youth program initiative, Queer and Trans Asian Youth. Welcome, Danny. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for making the time of your busy schedule. Uh, it seems like you do so much work that uh, I'm just happy that we were uh, able to book some time with you. But yeah, uh, can you tell us a bit about Asian Community AIDS Services or ACAS and what you do as a youth program coordinator at Queer and Trans Asian Youth? Yeah, so ACAS is a community organization by and for Asian folks who are living with HIV AIDS and or are part of the 2S LGBTQIA plus spectrum. And we offer a variety of services from support programming to workshops, new care packages, and the list expands outside of that, um, outside of quarantine. So as a youth program coordinator, I take care of queer and trans Asian youth, which is also the QTA program. Um, this is open to all East and Southeast Asian youth ages 16 to 30 who identify as queer and or trans. And most notably, I coordinate and help facilitate our When You're Ready program, which I think we'll discuss a little bit later. I also help run workshops, conferences, events, et cetera, for ACAS. How, that sounds like that. Man, that was a lot. Um, <laughs> but it was said so well. Uh, how did you start working for ACAS and QTA? Yeah, so I actually started off as a participant back in 2019. I was a participant of When You're Ready, and I just loved it so much. Uh, my little group and I, uh, so When You're Ready, for a little bit of background, is an eight-week sort of program where youth come together to discuss various topics. And over those eight weeks, I got really close with my group. And um, we all decided when these calls were put out by ACAS, um, for peer leaders to help lead when you're ready, we were like, oh, let's just all apply together. And we all kind of got in. Um, so I became a peer leader at ACAS. And then from there, I got to become the Pillow Talk Coordinator, um, which is basically the Conference with a Women's Program, which has kind of lost funding, but um, we're keeping that going strong. It's our annual conference for women um, and non-binary folks about intimacies, whether it's with our bodies or with other people. And then I moved on to LGBTQ together program coordinator, um, which is uh, basically a workshop series, um, event series uh, to help Asian folks deal with quarantine. So this past February, I took on the position of queer and trans Asian youth program coordinator. So it's been quite a journey um, over a few years, but I, I mean, I think my dedication shows and it's been such an amazing time all the way through. So you've been working at ACAS, you said now for how long? Uh, technically, it's been about a year, but I've had like, I think, four different roles in my time here already. Yeah, uh, I it's actually, uh, I actually read, first read about uh, QTA in a CBC article about the uh, When You're Ready program. I think you already touched on it a little bit, but uh, could you talk a bit more about uh, what it means like for an eight-week program? Like, does that mean that it's like part-time or is it like during the weekends or evening calls during it just so that uh we can understand a bit more about what you do and uh what the when you're ready program is yeah for sure so the when you're ready program is an eight-week discussion 
series. Um, but we only really meet once a week. And that day changes depending on the peer leader schedule. So I help supervise three amazing peer leaders who help facilitate these sessions. And that's how I started off as a peer leader. And they basically help create these cycles where we learn about and talk about topics such as mental health, sexual health, mindfulness, anti-oppression, and more. Starting this coming year, we're actually going to be running it four times a year. And the next cycle is going to start in August and September. And we try to teach queer and trans East and Southeast Asian folks about these topics to not only give them the knowledge to identify and discuss their experiences, but also to feel more confident in the choices they make and the people they want to be around. So as a program coordinator, like I said, I do train and facilitate the one year ready sessions with amazing peer leaders, and I ensure that people feel included, accommodated for, and heard. That's very that's very interesting. I think that when I first read that CPC article, I think like the article focused a lot about like coming out, but from what you're telling me, it's like a lot more holistic and it's more general, right? Yeah, for sure. Coming out is just such a small part of the story. It's it's something that we had to have to do constantly as queer and trans Asian folk. But what that looks like to people is always different and it's a constant process. So our program takes care of so much more than that because it's not just about coming out. It's about coming to terms with yourself, with other people, with your experiences, and then also finding solidarity through all of that. Some people come in questioning and they don't really actually know if they're queer. Some people come in and they aren't out of the closet yet, but they want to figure out you know, a community for when they do want to come out. Some people are already out and they're already in that middle of the journey and they're really happy or confused or you know, frustrated where they are, but they're here to find community. So overall, it is a very wholesome, holistic um, way to build that space uh, rather than just about, you know, being about coming out and whatnot. To gain a little bit more clarity about this specific program, could you expand on some of the challenges specific to queer uh, East and Southeast Asian? For sure. A lot of queer and trans East and Southeast Asians express having a lot of trouble with diaspora and feelings of isolation. And so by that, I mean that a lot of folks don't know where to go for support. That's not necessarily their fault, right? Like a lot of these supports are sort of inaccessible. A lot of them are um, word of mouth and whatnot. Many people feel like they don't fit in in queer and trans spaces because of the prejudices against Asian folks within Western you know, queer and trans spaces. Mm-hmm. And many Asian people feel scared to face homophobia and transphobia within the Asian community. So there's a cultural disconnect. Uh, perhaps there's even a personal disconnect with the people around you. So we try to provide a few spaces where people might find that intersectional community that they need. So the struggle of loneliness, isolation is in there. But there's also the struggle of like, for example, some folks are ready to come out. Some people do want to talk about it with their parents, with their family, but they don't have the vocabulary and they come to us for those resources. Some people just want some friends. They want to know more people to know, you know, am I actually the only queer and trans Asian? Like, is this something that Asians can be? Do I have to give up either one of my identities to fit in? And the answer is like, no, you're not alone. And um, yeah, we've had this whole community here. Um, but of course, for quote unquote, when you're ready. Uh, was there a moment I think during your time, whether you're working or being part of uh, ACAST programs that really reassured you that you were doing uh, important work and impactful work? Mm, that's a good question. Admittedly, it, 
it really does feel like a dream almost. Um, I think it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's this weird disparity, right? Be, uh, between being a participant and just like a community member to becoming a leader within the community. I've been told that what I'm doing helps a lot of people. I've had people come to me personally to thank me for the space, my time, my work, et cetera. So I guess I don't have a single moment or I don't have anything that like really stuck out to me. But I think it's just the small, sweet moments of reassurance and kindness that I do get from community members, the little thank yous or the, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited about this. And that's really all I need to keep me going. Um, if anything, actually, knowing how far I've come from becoming a participant to, like, becoming, you know, the project coordinator, that's what's helped me keep going. Because if I can make someone else feel as included, seen, heard, and loved that as I felt when I first started participating, then my time is well spent here. Nice. Yeah. I, on Facebook and Instagram, uh, it's really uh, fun to see like so many pictures and of like all the events, panels, and like socials that are hosted by QT. Uh, what are some of the uh, social activities or events that uh, QT hosts other than the When You're uh, Ready program? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, we actually do have at least one social event a month. Uh, this month, we actually have four. We're done with two of them, and there's two more coming up. Um, but we have done a huge variety of things. Some of them are workshops, stuff like improv workshops or mood board workshops. Some of them are discussions, things, for example, like, oh, uh, you know, what does it mean when uh, people tell us that we're greedy or that we're we're only meant to swing one way if we say that we're like, you know, bisexual or pansexual. Um, we have some things exclusive to like trans folks, for example. Um, but we also have some really fun other events such as like film screenings. Uh, we have games nights. I, um, there's actually one coming up next Wednesday. Did I mention that we had an open mic? The open mic was a lot of fun. Um, cool. We've had we've had quite a few other events and we're trying to expand what events are, especially in like this sort of virtual sphere because before we've had like, oh, and this past weekend actually we had like speed friending, we've had fragrance making, I think we had a dance workshop one time, but that's changed in the virtual era. So we're trying to figure that out and we're trying to figure out what that looks like for us. But as of right now, yeah, those are the types of activities that QT hosts, the types of events that we like to put on and we, are definitely looking for more suggestions if people want more. I I think fragrance making is pretty creative. To be honest, like I've never heard of that ever as like an activity. How does that how does that work? I'm not too sure. I'm actually highly allergic <laughs> to fragrances. Oh so no! I never yeah, I never attended these events. However, so... <laughs> I do know that like from what it seems like, people like brought together essential oils and then they could combine them and then I think you were allowed to make like uh you were like able to water it down or add like some sprigs of like flowers in there or something and then you could put it in like a little bottle and like spray it and whatnot hmm that sounds really fun <laughs> but I I'm so sorry that I asked you that that especially when you <laughs> said that you can't participate I feel so bad now but um no don't <laughs> it's, it's so cute I wish I could I want to like watch through a glass window <laughs> You mentioned one thing, uh, an activity about like, sorry, I, I think I just wanted to learn more about it. When you said like being greedy between like pansexual and bisexual, could you uh, explain that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So I'm by myself. Uh, wow, that sounded weird. So I'm 
bisexual myself, and um, I have been told multiple times by various folks, like, oh, but, like, you know, you're either gay or you're straight. There is, like, you know, if you're in between or if you swing both ways, you're too greedy. Um, it's the same for pansexuals, um, polysexuals, etc. So the question that we kind of pose is, like, what does it mean for us to like folks of more than one gender? Um, is it, like, trans-inclusive or trans-exclusive either way? Um, are there weird nuances that we're not very aware of? So it was just, like, a really nice discussion led by one of the current peer leaders, actually. And she did a really wonderful job about, like, bringing up for example, like almost like a queer imposter syndrome, like, oh, am I actually bi? Am I actually pan? Like, oh, I've only ever dated men. Does that make me straight, even though I think I like women too? Or, oh, does the fact that like I've only ever dated women make me a lesbian, etc.? Um, or like even as a non-binary person, what does it mean to identify as liking specifically men or women and not like the nuances of the in-between or trans folks, etc.? I, I don't think I've ever like thought that deep about it, but that's really interesting. Uh, thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. uh, so besides ACAS, it seems like you also do a lot of work uh, in your own like personal time. Uh, I, I saw on your own personal website uh, in your bio, it or you describe yourself as a person who focuses on creation and storytelling as a way of connecting to building and reimagining uh, communities. So when I read that, I, this seemed really, like, I didn't really understand it, uh, but could you, could you break that down for us a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I believe in this sort of theory that I've crafted over the years called creative storytelling, and that can range from anything from, like, children's books to just, like, you know, telling your friends something that happened to you yesterday to something like D&D or even video games, TV shows, etc. Creative storytelling is, encapsulates a lot of different storytelling that creates community so for example you know the fact that my friends and I are into the same video games we are part of this you know gaming community and that in itself has been built up because of the stories that we have surrounded ourselves with or um, I used to lead some D&D events before quarantine hit and we were all brought together in that space to you know tell each other stories to participate in these stories together so I realized that a lot of what I did was based around the ways that I could tell stories differently, the ways that we could bond over stories and build community over stories. So I started to focus a lot of my art as well on storytelling. So I feel like storytelling can be used as a way of connecting to folks, creating empathy, creating a lot of really wonderful um, connections that like otherwise may not have been there. Uh, to building and reimagining communities. So when we reimagine community, for example, um, I have a theory of monstrosity, and uh, that comes from U of T, actually, um, a, a wonderful professor named T. So T had this theory of monstrosity that, you know, like, just anything that isn't the norm is monstrous. And I've sort of expanded on that to the point of, like, oh, so, like, if you're not white, you're a monster. If you're disabled, you're a monster. If you're queer, you are a monster in the eyes of a society that demonizes you for being who you want to be. So when you reclaim those stories, when we become the monsters and we become proud of being the monsters that we are, then we reimagine community. We reimagine re the ways that we can build and create solidarity. So, of course, that's like, you know, many theories that I've like sort of crafted in my head. But yeah, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but 
that's sort of what I tie a lot of my art and work to. On your personal website and also from a lot of your work that you do with ACAS is a lot of leading workshops. And what is your favorite thing about leading workshops? And also what is something that you find really challenging about leading workshops? It's interesting because I almost kind of accidentally started leading workshops and I adored it. Um, It was really fun. But I realized it's because I did workshops in a very different way than I was sort of taught that workshops should be. I try to dabble in like more engaging, slightly like, you know, diverging from the road workshops. I try not to do lecture style professional workshops. I like to engage people. I like to ask people questions to have discussions. So my favorite thing about leading workshops is getting that feedback, is like seeing what people think, seeing how people get to redefine their experiences, their identities through the things that we say and do. So, for example, I did lead a workshop on monstrosity. Um, I've also led a work sh- uh, several workshops on like diaspora and like how that makes us feel. And just allowing folks to sort of like realize like what it means for them to live in diaspora, for them to live in monstrosity, and for them to find power in that has been uh, so wonderful for me to see that impact. In terms of challenges, though, I think it's, um, I think specifically in the age of quarantine is that a lot of people have Zoom burnout. A lot of people, while they enjoy a lot of the engaging aspects of workshops, uh, it, you know, it's tiring. It's exhausting having to be um, on all day and then to go to this workshop that's meant to be, you know, fun and nice and, you know, just not having the energy to participate. So I feel for that. I don't blame anyone at all for that. But outside of that, I think the challenging part is really just wondering, you know, how do I engage people? How do I ensure that people walk away from this thinking that they are valid, um, even if their opinions are different from mine, even if their stories don't match up with the ones that I tell? So, yeah, there's <laughs> uh, there's nothing super concrete, but there is a lot of, like, thought put into the ways that I like to structure and um, create what I put out there. Uh, I also saw that uh, you also like create like a lot of zines, um, and uh, for those who might not know, or, like the listeners, uh, could you talk a bit about like what a zine is and uh, why that is a medium that interests you or that you utilize a lot? Yeah, for sure. Um, so zine is short for magazine. So for those of you who don't know, it is like almost like a tiny pamphlet, a tiny magazine, but it's specialized on a certain theme. Um, some zines are very broad and they ask questions or they have certain themes or they're for certain organizations. And other zines are just like, you know, comics, art, etc. And if you want, I believe there is a Toronto zine fair um, every year. Um, and that is absolutely wonderful. I know a lot of zines are, so, are sold at the Toronto Comic Art Festival, I believe it's called, CCAF. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the reason why I got interested in zines were because I was getting back into art after three years of kind of being discouraged not to do art. And I was like, well, I'm an artist. I trained for art school and I ultimately decided to not go. But why don't I try doing it again? So I decided to create um, a workbook called uh, Diaspora Fields. And the idea is that it's this interactive way that you could, you know, discuss uh, diaspora, or you can identify and learn vocabulary to relate your experiences, whether it's just to yourself or even to other people. 
And then from there, I was asked to make another one. And then uh, I did. And then I was asked to make another one. And so um, my interest in them kind of grew, especially if I was asked to make more zines on different topics. I've done one, another one on uh, diaspora called Coloring Home. I've done one called Of All Stripes. And it's like half comic book, half resource building. And it, that was for uh, AIDS Committee of Toronto, for the CBRC um, 2020 Summit to Aperture Project. And I believe I made another zine for the Empower Project for um, ACT, which is the AIDS Committee of Toronto. And yeah, I, I think it's just the fact that it's so accessible, that it's uh, fun to make, that it's a cohesive work of art as well. I'm a, I don't know if you can tell from the podcast, but I'm an extremely wordy and long-winded person. And um, I don't think that's a th- part of myself that I really want to throw away. Um, I kind of love that part about myself. And I think zines are a perfect medium to like get all of these thoughts and feelings and words um, onto paper or like onto a virtual zine and not have it be shortened down to like one piece of art or one song or one drawing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I've seen you've made so many like that. I, I've been like looking at a couple. I'm curious, uh, and totally you don't have to answer this if it's too personal, but like you said that like for three years, like you, you didn't do as much art. Uh, that sounds like, because uh, it's a bit surprising because we've spoken so much about like art and storytelling. <laughs> like well, what happened there? Yeah, uh, it's just unfortunate. I was actually in a very white, uh, you know, LGBTQ space. And there was just, it was just unfortunate that there is this uh, white woman who kind of discouraged me from pursuing art, you know, as a queer, disabled Asian person. And I kind of believed her and I'm, sad that I did, but I'm also glad that she did because that made me reflect on why it was so important to me. I still did other forms of art. I just didn't like do like digital art or like traditional art, which is what I was trained in. I still pursued like acapella. I still pursued like video game development, uh, etc. So I still pursued art in its own way, but I didn't do the art that I really wanted to do, which um, felt more holistic and wholesome to me. So yeah, it's just unfortunate. Um, it was very much like a colonial force. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad that uh, you're back at it. Um, it was uh, thank you. That's that was uh, the last question I had. Uh, thank you so much for being part of the show. It was so much fun talking to you and learning more uh, about your experiences and about ACAS and QTA. Uh, for listeners who are interested in attending QTA socials events or entering into the when you're ready program do you have any more information about where they can find it and also for those who uh, are maybe a bit intimidated or don't really know where to start what uh, advice do you really have for them yeah so i think first off you can always email me at youth at acast.org um, you can also just go to the website acast.org and you can try to contact us through any of those means as well you can also DM us on Instagram. I think we are at Queer Asian Youth. And then for those of you who are hesitant, who want the space but don't really know whether you belong um, or whether you're ready for this kind of thing, it's called When You're Ready for a Reason. Don't worry about being hesitant. It's okay to be hesitant. It's okay to be unsure. If you want to just email and see if you feel comfortable joining, I think that would be a great start. 
I personally jumped right into it. I was very uncomfortable, but I was just like, ah, I'm just going to sign up. And it turned out really great. But I un- I understand that that's not the case for everyone. So feel free to email me. Feel free to message us. Um, feel free to ask questions. And if you're not comfortable just yet, I think it's okay to kind of like be in that space for yourself and to acknowledge that. And then to also like just keep it in the back of your head for when you are ready to join us. So thank you so much for considering that. And thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, of course. Uh, you're welcome back on any time. If there's anything uh, you wanted to, to talk about, uh, I'm always down to learn more. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. Wherever you are listening, remember to follow us or subscribe, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts, to be notified of the latest episodes. Also, it really helps our podcast. If you think there's a guest that you would like us to interview or you yourself would like to be on our podcast, send us an email at postacochronicles at gmail.com. You can also keep up with the latest PCC news by following us on Instagram or Twitter. Postacle Chronicles is hosted and produced by me, Matt Falk. Alice Coombs was the co-producer for this episode. Our staff also includes Kasun Medegadara and Rostislav Seroka. Our main theme song is called Last Energy for the Day by Loyalty Freak Music. And there are other music credits on our website. Thank you for listening. See you next time.